listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman, and helping me co-host again today is my business partner from Crestworth Capital, Andrew Bruff. Andrew, good having you on again. And today we're joined by a special guest, somebody I've been following online for quite some time. He's just full of energy, full of excitement, and always putting out some awesome content. So I just reached out and begged him to join us. So today we have Travis Watts. He's a full-time limited investor. He's also the Director of Investor Relations over at Ashcroft Capital. Travis, welcome to the show. Sterling, Andrew, happy to be here. So Travis, can you bring us back to the beginning? How did you get started? Where did your real estate journey begin? Sure. Yeah. It uh, started out in Colorado, a town called Fort Collins, about an hour north outside Denver. That's pretty much where I grew up. I'm originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we moved there when I was about five. So bought my first property when I was 20. I had known that I wanted to get into real estate at some point, didn't know how. That was just good timing, I guess, in a sense. It was uh, September 2009, a lot of people will say, well, what what great timing you had just to uh, skip the whole market collapse. But you know, it's funny. At the time, I was asking friends, family, anybody I could reach out to what they thought about me buying a home in September 09. And everybody was saying, do not buy, do not buy, you're nuts. You know, things are falling, they're collapsing. It's just horrible. But you know, like I said, I knew I wanted to get in at some point, this was going to be an owner occupied home next to a college campus, I knew I could rent the spare bedroom out and kind of house hack it. And you know, running the numbers, it just made sense. This home fell about 40% in value recently at that point. Plus, the government was handing out the $8,000 tax credit for first time home buyers. So I'm looking at all three of these scenarios going, you know, I get that everyone's telling me not to but I think it's a good time for me. <laughs> so so that, that's kind of how it started. I think my eye opener to passive income was when I did start to house hack that particular, it was a condo actually, a 2-1, someone handing me a check for 600 bucks and knowing that my mortgage was about 640 and going, wow, I'm pretty much living for free and not having to work for it. That's incredible, you know? And so I thought, well, what could I do to kind of scale that up? And it was interesting because I really wasn't into self-education and podcasts and reading that much at the time. And I wish I had been. <laughs> well, how, how old are you, Travis? 32. So I've been okay. at this doing what, 11, 12 years, whatever it is. We didn't really have much content out there 12 I, years ago. I they, know. You probably didn't call it house hacking at the time. That's true. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things have popped up. The fire movement, which we can touch on. A lot of things I was kind of doing, but didn't really have titles at the moment. But I ended up doing a lot of active stuff. I'll, I'll kind of condense this section of the story as short as I can. So I did fix and flips. I did vacation rentals. I did the house hacking, owner-occupied homes. I'd buy distress, fix up, sell two years later for tax-free, all that kind of stuff. So I did that till I burned out because I had a W-2 job. It was in the oil field. It was 14-hour days working away from home, out of state, out of country. I worked in the Middle East and it was just really hard to scale a single family active managed portfolio while trying to maintain a career like that. So in 2015, I burned out and I made a huge switch. I, I went all in to this concept and idea of passive investing. 
which is all I do now. And it's all I've done for the last five, six years, sold everything that I owned quite literally, except my car and went into these syndications and private placements as a limited partner. And so now I help educate in the space. You were mentioning, you know, online content that's mostly since COVID, but it, you know, there's a lot of folks out there, whether it be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, attorney, athlete, you know, highly paid professionals that need to park some capital where maybe they're not wanting to tie up their time in the process. And so private placements and syndications can be a, a great asset for those types of folks. And so that's kind of my mission is to help spread the word. As you awesome. said, there wasn't a lot of education back then and trying to be that person I wish I would have connected with. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, that was the reason we started the podcast. And, and you know, you work for Ashcroft Capital and, and, you know, Joe Fairless with his book on syndication. That was kind of what inspired me to start the podcast in, in the beginning. But awesome. kind of taking a step back to kind of unpack the active. And I, I definitely want to get more into the passive because that's sure. definitely where we're all headed. But, but, you know, a lot of people that are just kind of getting interested in investing in real estate, it's easy to make a case for passive investing, but it's also very easy to get the rebuttal. Well, I don't have any money to passively invest. So no. can you kind of walk us through that transition from like the early days where you were getting the funding, maybe walk us a little bit through your journey through the active and kind of what led up to allow you to fully transition to the passive side? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And very fair statement. I mean, it is capital intensive if you're going to be a full-time, especially uh, LP investor. But that being said, I will share the story and hopefully this can resonate with a lot more folks. I wasn't born for money. I wasn't handed, you know, a, a trust or anything like that. But what I did have was a little bit saved towards college that I ended up getting a scholarship for instead and pocketing that money. I just didn't spend it and I just didn't want to take on any debt. So as I exited college, I had no debt and a little money in my pocket. I had waited dumb luck through a recession. It just is the way that it turned out. You know, I graduated in, in 09. That's just how it was. And so, yeah, some dumb luck, a little bit of being prepared, a little bit of I was working since I was 15 and saving as much as I could save, that kind of stuff. I was raised by two very frugal parents. Everything was about coupons and living below your means and buying the off brand and not buying things we don't need. All that kind of stuff was like my roots. So I, was, I had one side of the coin, you know, how to save. I didn't know anything about how to invest. And so that came from the self-education, the books, the things like that. So I put nearly everything I had into that first home. I went with a conventional 20% down type of situation, got the 8,000 back, that was nice. And you know, house hack, live virtually for free. And I just kind of rinsed and repeated that model. And, you know, the oil field was a high paying gig. Unfortunately, it was a gig I, I didn't enjoy. I wasn't passionate about. It didn't fit me. But I recognized that as an opportunity to earn some money. And if I could be very frugal and live severely below my means, it's kind of like where the fire movement mentality, you know, came into play. It was kind of a four-step process. It was earn as much money as I could earn, live on as little of that as possible, invest the difference in assets specifically that cash flow, but also with equity upside, and then try to avoid bad debt, you know, credit card debt. As I mentioned, I didn't have student loan debt, things like that, personal loans. So those are really the four steps I followed to the point where in 2015, I'm sitting there for the first time doing a detailed analysis on my net worth, 
thinking, what if I just sold everything that I own, literally paid all the taxes, the realtor fees, the commissions, what am I left with? That would be the net worth. What if I put that to work passively in these syndications that I'm learning about at a conservative cash flow amount? And when I ran those numbers, <laughs> the, the biggest light bulb of all went off, which is I could walk away from this job. I don't need to be doing this job that I hate and despise. I could be doing things that I'm actually passionate about and want to learn and that I could excel in and, and move up in. So that inevitably is what led me to, to Ashcroft Capital. I started first as an investor, still I'm a big investor with Ashcroft as a limited partner, but joined the team in 2019 to help share the message, the exposure, attend conferences, just mingle with folks nationwide. So now because of COVID, I'm online. How much was your first passive investment? The very first one I did, I partnered with a local group to me, which is in Colorado at the time, and I did their minimum investment. So it was 50 grand. And I had just sold a home. And so I had the liquidity to do that. I didn't want to put too much in it because quite honestly, I was a little skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> of this whole concept. It seemed too good to be true because I'm looking at projected returns on pro formas thinking, you know, there's been flips I've done where I didn't make that much money. How is it I could do nothing and make the same or better? So I was very kind of skittish in the beginning. I had a slow start to it. But as I started seeing it unfold in real time and as I met more people that were 5, 10, 15 years beyond where I was at doing this full-time or part-time, it really was an eye-opener and I went all in. Now, were you a, an accredited investor when you first started? Correct, yeah. Okay, and the reason I ask is I think there's a lot of misconceptions around who can be a passive investor. You know, you typically hear people think they have to go out and find somebody rich to, you know, on the operator side, we feel like we have to go find somebody rich to be able to passively invest. But in reality, most of the passive investors out there are just normal guys who have, you know, a, a 401k that from working at energy for 30 years and they've rolled it over into a self-directed IRA. So can you describe like the typical investors that you, that you're talking to and working with? Sure. Yeah. And, and it definitely is a big misconception. I wrote a blog on this not too long ago that too many people see these publicly advertised syndications, which are 506C offerings in most cases, which can take only accredited investors. And so you kind of get a perception when you're new to this space that well, everything's for accredited investors, I guess. Everything I've ever looked at has been. And so you kind of tune out if, if maybe you're non-accredited. But the fact is, I would say the majority of these groups are doing 506B offerings where they can allow 35 sophisticated investors into a deal if they so choose to do that with a pre-existing relationship, things like that. So you, you may not need to be an accredited investor at all. And outside of multifamily and real estate, there's things you can invest in that absolutely wouldn't require accreditation anyway. You know, investing in REITs, real estate investment trust, or high dividend stocks, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> bonds, annuities, CDs. There's all kinds of products out there that are available that are cash flow products, you know. So to me, it's more about the concept of investing for cash flow versus, you know, equity and capital gains. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. So your question is painting the picture of like who who's the typical investor that I'm... Who the, who the typical investors are. Because I think a lot of times <laughs> yeah. the misconception is they're, 
they're big oh, Wall Street yeah. guys with billion-dollar bank accounts. But when you really dive into it, a lot of these folks are just kind of ordinary guys who have worked at a career in the oil and gas industry like you for sure. years and years and years and have, have stacked up a retirement and kind of moved it over. So I'm just wondering what are some kind of more down-to-earth type of investors that you interact with on a daily basis that maybe mm-hmm. some of our listeners can connect with and say, oh, well, that sounds a little more like me than what I was thinking types of guys. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think if you had asked me in, say, 2009 about being an apartment investor, you know, being a co-owner in a 400-unit apartment building, and knowing nothing about syndications, I probably would have thought the same and said, well, either A, you know, I'm not a billionaire, I can't do that. Or to your point, super wealthy, super experienced, kind of the most senior of real estate investors that are out there. But really, as I dove in and got involved a lot heavier in investor relations, networking conferences, the the top groups that I speak with that are accredited investors doing LP deals would be engineers, sales, career folks, doctors, lawyers, attorneys, athletes, I kind of mentioned that earlier, business owners, entrepreneurs. Again, you can qualify in different ways for accreditation. By the way, there was just a a recent change too to the definition, right? I was was about to ask your interpretation of that. I sent that that to Andrew two days ago. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's I mean, come on. It's it's such an outdated thing anyway. I don't even know when they first came up with this accredited investor. It was years and years decades ago and the numbers have never changed. It's crazy. But so now like for example, at one point I I worked for a brokerage firm. So as I left the oil field, I wanted to pursue other things I thought I was going to be passionate about. One was stocks, bonds, and mutual funds because I wanted to learn the Wall Street side of the business. So I had a, at the time I had a series seven and 63 license so that I could do that job. That now qualifies you as an accredited investor according to the new definition. So holding a professional license where you had to pass exams by FINRA and, and these kinds of things would qualify qualify you in in the sense that you obviously know what you're doing if you can pass a test like that. So it's getting there. I wish it were a little more broad. I wish it could, you know, bring some more people in because not too many people hold those licenses anyhow. But, you know, there's change being made. And the whole argument is that, you know, so many folks don't have access to accredited opportunities. So it's kind of the, you know, the haves and the have nots argument. And, and I'm, you know, I wish it could be for everybody. I do. But with that said, like I said, there, there's 506B offerings you can get involved with. There's REITs, there's stocks, there's other things that are cash flowing, you know, that you could potentially invest in. So now does Ashcroft offer 506Bs? Good question. They used to. So this year, 2020, they started 506C offerings. So now, you know, you may see an Ashcroft ad or something like that with a new deal. And I don't think they have the intention of going back to B, but you know, there's pros and cons. I think a lot of groups that get established in the space have a reputation, a track record, they're well known. They can now comfortably raise capital publicly speaking, right? A lot easier than maybe someone doing their very first deal where you kind of need to rely on friends, family, and kind of your own network, whether they're all accredited or not. So pros and cons. But yeah, no, this so Ashcroft does 506C, accredited investors only at this point. Great. So take off your Ashcroft hat for a minute and just think, you know, just Travis Watts, the limited investor. What do you look for in an investment opportunity? How do you qualify an operator that you're going to go invest with? That's a great question. 
starts with internal reflection. So something I wish I had done from day one that I didn't do, but I eventually did, it was sitting down and really thinking through my criteria, meaning what I value, what I like, you know. And so a lot of the properties I was dealing with in Colorado when I was active were 1980s, 1990s, early 2000s. They need renovation. So that would be a value add kind of play you know, affordable rents, all those kinds of things. Well, I got to see that working firsthand. I got to understand why I would like properties like that. And so as I moved to multifamily, you can do the same thing. You know, you can do value add or you could do new development, new construction. So it kind of depends. You know, if I had had a background, let's say as being a in construction or, or, or even a handyman for that matter, you know, it may, I may have had a, a different kind of appreciation for other types of models. But for me, I just like a combination of cash flow and equity in something that needs a little bit of improvement that can be, you know, forced appreciation essentially. And that goes beyond real estate. We could be talking about a car. You know, the way I buy a car is that it maybe is a little distressed, has a few issues, right? I'm going to buy it cheap and I'm going to get it fixed and now it's worth more and so I'm going to lose less <laughs> in the car Absolutely. scene, you know? And uh, yeah, that just resonated with me. So I looked into great communication, transparency, team track record, monthly distributions are ideal for me because I was going to be living on this income. The industry norm would be quarterly. So, you know, everybody's different. Some people may not care about that. If you're investing with an IRA and you got 30-year time horizon, who cares monthly versus quarterly? But for me, it did. So it's, it's understanding yourself, your risk tolerance, what's important to you. And then you're going to go out there and seek groups, network and seek groups doing those types of deals. And then you, you automatically have an alignment of interest day one because your philosophy is probably very similar to those folks. So why passive versus active? Yeah, good question. So it's, again, very personal and different. So there's 100% nothing wrong with doing anything active. It's a great way to churn some equity quickly if you're very hands-on, which I was not. I'm just not handy. I was doing my first fix and flip, by the way. <laughs> Side note, I didn't have an electric drill, you know? I mean, that's how handy I was. So I'm having to contract everything out. I'm losing a lot of margin. I didn't have great connections to find good deals, things like that. So to me, but let's take it from one other perspective. You mentioned earlier, Sterling, you know, we all have to get to passive eventually, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, whatever you'd, you'd said exactly, but that's true. So whether you're in your 60s or 70s or whatever, and whether you're doing this through social security and a pension and a 401k, we all have to get to the point where we're going to be passive. So my thought was early on, what if I start focusing on cash flow and income now instead of hoping that these things might be out there in my 60s that I might bank on the government or, or these different types of entitlements that are, that are there, we can clearly see pensions going away and 401ks not being <laughs> sufficient for retirement, you know, and, and social security system going broke. So it's a little scary for someone, you know, my age to think that that's what I'm going to be relying on for retirement. So for me, I think I just wanted to put control into my hands earlier versus later and then have flexibility over lifestyle. I think it's also widely known we're kind of going into a gig economy where folks are looking to be contractors, work from home, work maybe part-time, work on things that they're passionate about instead of the old traditional system of 
climbing the corporate ladder and staying with the company for, you know, 50 years or something like that. So the world's changing. And I guess I just wanted to kind of try to be one step ahead if possible. <laughs> Absolutely. And one thing that kind of always sticks out to me, and you, you see a lot of people, whether in Facebook groups or blogs, kind of attacking one another another because they think, oh, I have the right answer. This is absolutely always the right answer. And what I find is that everybody's at a different place in their journey, you know, and there's, there's always a season where something may be the right answer. You know, yep. there, there was a point in my life where I wanted to be the CEO of the W2 job that I work at. And I was so aggressive at climbing that corporate ladder. And I looked down on everybody else that wasn't as aggressive and going forward as I was. And, and then I kind of ran into real estate and I kind of started shifting gears. And now, you know, I kind of look at those people that are in that space I used to be in and they're kind of looking down their nose at me. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. I look, I've been there. I know. And, and it's the kind of the same little interactions that you see between like active and passive investors. Like mm, you're right. yeah. Eventually, I think everybody wants to get passive to have the freedom to not actually have to do the work, but receive the income, you know? But I, I think that the answer is there's different seasons for all of us and we're all just at a different place in that journey. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And the other thing to point out is that, you know, I'm an extreme example of someone that went 100% active to 100% passive. That's not the case for most people. You know, again, back to the demographic of engineers and lawyer, attorney, doctor, dentist, a lot of folks and my dad, here's a good example, late 60s, right, owned several actively managed single family properties. But then at a certain point said, you know what, I don't want this to become my job in retirement. So I'm going to start doing passive deals also. So he's probably got an equilibrium, maybe 50-50, I don't know, say eight passive and eight active. And for him, that's perfect, you know? So yeah, different season in life, different approach, but probably more likely the approach out there. I mean, even a lot of the syndicators, you know, GPs, also LP and other deals, you know, to kind of balance and scale cash flow up. And so, yeah, I, I'm not trying to advocate that that folks should be 100% passive like I am. I'm just an extreme case. If, <laughs> I'm if, just all for it all. If, if everybody was 100% passive like you, we wouldn't have any in deals to invest in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, I'm just a, I'm, I'm a believer in cash flow, passive income, interest income, you know, just assets that produce that kind of stuff. But equally so just real estate, right? If your highest and best is, is flipping a home, that's what you should do, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm all for it. I've done it. I found success in it. But after a while, again, change of season, change of like perspective. And I thought, mm, you know, there's something else I want to try now. So. so you've mentioned several other asset classes outside of real estate multiple times. So mm -hmm. do you have your portfolio split up between real estate and other areas? Yeah, the way I kind of have my personal portfolio structured is 80% would be what I know and understand best and align with best, you know, where, where I kind of hedge most of my bets. So mostly that's multifamily value add apartment syndications, that kind of stuff. Now the 20% of my portfolio is what I call experimental. 
And so I try a lot of things, you know, I know other people have said it in different ways, like Mark Cuban's famous for saying like 10% Bitcoin, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the point is don't put all your eggs in that basket, but maybe play around a little bit. So I've done self storage and ATM machines and first lien notes and the REITs and the all that kind of stuff, things that produce passive income that maybe aren't, you know, value add multifamily. So some of those have been tremendous in returns and others I've lost a lot of money. And so it's, that's why it's experimental and that's why it's only 20%, you know, it's my learning bucket. Got it. Keep the main thing, the main thing, huh? Yeah. What did one of my mentors tell me a long time ago? Find, find something that works and double down on it, essentially, you know, paraphrasing, but that's kind of what I've done. Awesome. Well, I want to head over to our radio round real quick where we just ask three quick questions to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first one, what's your favorite book? Favorite book of all time? (laughs) Uh, Of all time. Of all time. For, gosh, since I was in high school, I've been a fan of Tony Robbins. And so Awaken the Giant Within is probably my favorite book. I've pretty much read all of his content, gone to his seminars, all that kind of stuff. But Awaken the Giant Within for... 10 or 20 bucks, whatever it costs, is so worth it to talk about mindset and and motivation and willpower and just being able to kind of hack your mentality. So that's probably my favorite book. Awesome. So what's your favorite quote? Favorite quote, most people overestimate what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. That's another Absolutely. Tony quote, but come yeah. on, man. That's like my story in a nutshell, right? Absolutely. 10, 11, 10, whatever it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Travel, 100%. My wife and I are world travelers or before COVID we were. <laughs> so right. I'm sure we'll branch out again one day. But yeah, just traveling. Uh, we backpacked Asia. That was an amazing trip. And then we were out in Germany and Venice in 2019. Thank goodness we made that trip right before COVID. So Yep. Love it. Absolutely. So what's next for you, Travis? What's next? Helping and reaching more people is what I'm trying to build right now. So since COVID and the the lack of conferences in person, I've built up an Instagram channel, a YouTube channel, a Facebook, you know. You've got a a new podcast out. I got a new podcast out with Theo Hicks, the Active- Actively <laughs> Passive. I, I made, I'm just, I'm going to, I was turned down. I, uh, I made a suggestion when uh, Joe was asking for recommendations on the naming that podcast. My recommendation, which I, I liked, was Pastimes with Passive Investing. I thought that was catchy as all get out. There were so many great ones. I know. I didn't get that memo until I didn't even have a say in, in the show title. <laughs> so <laughs> I left it up to everyone else. So yeah, that's been fun. That's great. And I mean, we don't always, you know, stay on track, quote unquote. Like we were talking about celery juice the other day. That ended up being like the whole episode. So I, I have, <laughs> and we're running out of time, but I keep hearing this celery juice. Every time I see your name somewhere in the article, <laughs> celery juice pops up. What's the deal with celery juice? Why should we be drinking celery juice on a daily basis? <laughs> not a doctor. I'm not licensed, whatever. We were talking about life hacks. We were talking about knowledge hacks. We we're talking about, you know, leveraging mentors. And, and that had everything to do with real estate and business. And then all of a sudden, 
that was my health hack, you know? So Theo's like real into like the workout stuff and he can tell you all about health hacks on working out. My thing was my wife and I, we love to experiment with different diets and different, you know, drinks and fasting and all this stuff. And celery juice has just been the simplest thing that you could probably do, right? It's like 16 ounces of juiced celery juice once per day, separated away from food and coffee and other things that you're putting in your body. And it just gives you a natural energy boost, more so than, than caffeine. It can help with you know, eczema and, and brain fog and you know, so many ailments that, that people have, which thankfully we don't have a lot of, but the list goes on and on. It's incredible and it's the weirdest thing. And so, yeah, it's kind of been like a trend and a craze. I was skeptical of it. And then we started doing it and it was like, wow, like we've done things like a three or four day water fast that didn't have the same effects that just celery juice has in one day. And it's like, I got to share that with people. You know, it's just, just something to, to put out there. So. I'll give it a shot. I'm going to try it. <laughs> try it for at least like seven to seven to 10 days, right? It's not going to happen instantly on day one, but your body will kind of process through it. And it's really cool. How can our listeners find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, aside from the accounts that I mentioned there, Instagram, Facebook, Bigger Pockets, LinkedIn, um, ashcroftcapital.com forward slash connect with Travis gives you a couple things. You can book a free 15-minute call with me, just a general Q&A. A lot of people have questions on, on the blogs and the content and the interviews that I do here and want to kind of relate it to their situation. And I'm happy to give back my time that way. I don't sell anything. I don't have courses or books or anything, but I do like to network. So I'm happy to do that. Also, I have a download. It's called Understanding Real Estate Private Placements. It's a 20-pager with industry terminology, how to vet market deals, sponsors, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about here in more detail. You can download that at the same place, ashcroftcapital.com forward slash connect with Travis. Awesome. Travis, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed it. And I know our listeners are going to learn a ton. Look forward to uh, keeping up with you online. You bet. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>